Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 114 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you're remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you've been a Muslim all of your life and just want to learn more about Islam, inshallah, this podcast is for you. Now, before we get into today's topic, I just want to uh, remind you guys that uh, since we are uh, obviously towards the end of, of the year, that means our season is about to you know be concluded, and inshallah, <clears throat> in a few episodes... We will conclude season five uh, and uh, we will have a very interesting, uh, you know, season finale. This season, we have the theme of, you know, the, the modern society and, you know, choosing between Islam and modern society. And, and, and that is technically the theme. Not every single episode was, you know, following the theme, but in general. And inshallah, this season will end with something that you guys have been asking for. I'm, I'm going to keep you on your toes, so I'm not going to say anything. But it will be, there might be a little bit of a cliffhanger, uh, just, you know, to give, I'm giving you a heads up, uh, that will lead into season six, inshallah, which will be next, early in next year, inshallah, but yeah, so that's that, and, and we'll get to, inshallah, very, a couple of episodes are left for us to get into, you know, the big finale, inshallah, but I hope you guys uh, benefit from it, uh, and, you know, enjoy listening to it, uh, you know, as much as, alhamdulillah, I enjoy uh, uh, you know, sharing sharing it with you guys. So that is, yeah, that's, I just wanted to let you know that. Uh, so let's get right into today's topic now. And today's topic, oh boy, I'm going to talk about one of the things that people don't want to talk about uh, regarding Islam, which is the role of a man and a role of a woman when it comes to Islam. And we know that it's this, this, this topic is one of the, you know, quote unquote, controversial topics. In Islam, a lot of Islamophobes, a lot of non-Muslims use this topic to show how backwards Islam is, how misogynistic Islam is as a religion. We talked about this. We talked about different aspects. I, I remember in the beginning of the podcast, in the, in the first season, when I think the, the episode was under the title of Does Islam Oppress Women? But there are, of course, many other aspects that we didn't cover that, inshallah, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on covering today. So, and, and, you know, disclaimer, I don't want anything to, you know, that I will say be held against me in the court of our sisters, because I know that, you know, some of our sisters might be very passionate and very sensitive to this topic. But wallahi, uh, if you keep an open mind today, inshallah, you will be satisfied. Inshallah. I mean, I'm going to do my best. At the end of the day, uh, for those of you who've been listening to the podcast, I do not sugarcoat. I don't aim to please people. I aim to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So sometimes I say unpopular things, but if it's the truth, if it's mentioned in the book of Allah, if it's mentioned in the sunnah, then I will always say it. Even if some people feel uncomfortable with it, even if some people, you know, feel that it doesn't match their mentality, which we will have to address uh, inshallah in today's episode. But yeah, my only request is 
Before we talk about today's topic, just keep an open mind for the sisters and the brothers too. Just keep an open mind because um, this is important for both genders to, 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 to understand what is the role of you know, uh, the man or a woman, you know, husband and a wife, all these things. We have to understand it as men and women. Uh, so any preconceived notions, any uh, you know, a way of thinking, let's say that's related to modern times, like 2022. I know, you know, like if, oh, we're in 2022, things are different now. Uh, you know, men and women uh, should have equality and all these things. Men and women will have the, the, the roles that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dictated, not the roles that the society dictated. Keep that in mind. If you want to be, if you, because what is our purpose in this life? It's to go to, to go to Jannah and to avoid hellfire. That is the only ultimate purpose for human beings to live. Now, some people know how to do it or have an idea at least, and some people are completely oblivious. Now, we are fortunate enough that we have constant reminders, the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So if, if, you, if, if truly your goal is to get to Jannah, then you're going to have to make some sacrifices when it comes to modern way of thinking. Because at the end of the day, when Allah sent the Qur'an, Allah sent the Qur'an for all ages. Like Allah didn't say, well, you, were, you, know, you live in... In, in 2022, all right, this rule does not apply on you. Or, oh, you live in the West, uh, this rule does not apply on you. Don't worry about it. You know, you're exempt from following this. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends specific commands to address certain situations, and Allah himself abrogates these commands within the book of Allah, within the Quran itself. So sometimes you'll see a verse that Allah sent to address a specific era, again, during the 23 years of the time of the revelation of the Quran. And then after Allah makes sure that the people understood and they're like now their brains are reprogrammed because there was no Islam before Quran, right? There was no Islam. So Allah knows that certain things, very minor things will be difficult for people to adapt to. So Allah sends them in a, in a different way, sends a specific commands, specific rulings. And then Allah himself negates those commands with another verse. So Allah basically sent, sent the Prophet ﷺ verses that contradicted the first verses like, for example, on a very specific ruling. But then Allah tells us why would he do that? Because these verses were addressing certain situations. And when now the Muslims are ready to move on, Allah sends another verse that abrogates the previous verse. Only Allah is allowed to do that, not us. So when you see the final commands of Allah in the Quran, which is very explicit and very obvious, you can't say, well, now, because we're in different times, uh, uh, you know, we can ourselves abrogate these commands. No, it doesn't work that way. Allah is the only one who's allowed to abrogate, not you. You do not have to take uh, pick and choose from Allah's commands and see what suits you and what doesn't suit you. Just keep that in mind. We're going to talk about that as well, you know, covering today's topic. But keep, I want you to have an open mind today. Forget about what society says or forget about what how you feel. Let's talk about the commands of Allah and then let's explain certain things that might be misinterpreted by, you know, uh, some of our sisters, some of the, you know, non-Muslims, some of Islamophobes. Sometimes Islamophobes actually truly, sincerely don't understand certain, you know, verses and commands in the Quran. Now, today's topic is actually what was brought to us by two of uh, our uh, listeners. Um, the first listener is Sister Helka. Thank you so much for sending your questions. 
and I hope I'm not butchering your name. Uh, and also, uh, Sister Kayla, thank you so much, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, sending your questions. And also, I just want to tell you that um, we're going to lay a foundation first. And then we will start addressing, you know, the questions and answering them and explaining what are the misinterpretations or what are the misunderstandings or what are what is true as well. So let's ask ourselves a few questions. Now we're laying the foundation before we start actually talking about the topic. So what is the foundation? Who created both genders? You guys know. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, great. Now, who knows us more than we know ourselves? Logically speaking, the one who created us, right? You know, if, if, a, if, if, if a factory or a company creates a product, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, uh, give an example on saying that Allah is like a factory, or but I'm just giving you a worldly example. Uh, so if a factory creates a product, no one knows that product inside out more than the people who actually designed and, and you know, structured and created that product. That's why the company makes the user manual. Now, some people might come and study it, but they will never have the full understanding of that product as much as the people who actually created the product, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who created us. Some people could, you know, study human behavior. Some people could study human, you know, physiology or like, you know, body-wise or anatomy. Or But no one will get us. No one will know our intentions. No one will know our emotions. No one will know our, you know, f- how physically we could operate more than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is, you know, <clears throat> uh, should be clear. Now, who created the Quran and sent it to us? Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who is the source of all the authentic hadith? Remember, the hadith is worded by the Prophet ﷺ, but the source is Allah. The Prophet ﷺ did not come up with the hadith just on the spot. No, Allah gave him the inspiration. Allah gave him the information, and the Prophet ﷺ gave it to us in a form of a hadith. So it is ultimately, you know, the source is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. Who commanded us to follow the Quran and the hadith? And who told us that if we don't follow, we're going to go to hellfire, or if you follow, we're going to go to Jannah? It's Allah. Okay. Who has the ultimate knowledge? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who has the ultimate wisdom? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, this is all great. Alhamdulillah. Now let's flip the coin here. Who has an incomplete knowledge? Shall I say, insignificant knowledge when you compare it to the knowledge of Allah? You and me, right? Us human beings. Okay. Who has, again, insignificant wisdom compared to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You and me. That is correct. Now, who is the creation of Allah? We say Allah is the creator. Who is the creation? You and me. We're part of the creation. We're not all the creation, but we're part of the creation. Great. Who makes mistakes? Who is perfect? It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Allah is perfect. Allah does not make mistakes. But who makes mistakes all the time? And, you know, some of us try to learn from it and some of us can't learn from it. Of course, you and me. Who must follow the commands of Allah in the Quran and the Hadith? You and me. Who Now, that doesn't mean everyone follows, but we have to follow. That is, you know, that is the ruling. Okay, who will change their standards from one time era to another, a different time era, from one time period to a different time period, from one place to another. Us, human beings. You know, the standards uh, about a lot of things are not the same like it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. Things are completely different. Culture changes. 
right? And that's why when people say, you know, Islam is a backwards religion, you're absolutely right, it is. Because if a religion is not backwards, if a religion is not steady and stable and never changes, then it's not a religion. A religion that changes according to time and place to, you know, follow the trend or to appeal to, you know, people's own agendas or own desires. Yeah, that's not a religion. One of the most, and and anybody, even people who don't like Islam, deep down inside, they know Islam is the real deal because of what? It's the only religion that never changed. One version, the rulings are the same. Now, Muslims could mess up a lot, yes, but I'm talking about the religion itself. And it's standing its ground. Like the religion, Allah said, the Quran will still be there until the day of judgment. Allah will preserve it until the day we all die. All of mankind vanishes. Quran will still be there. So you tell me, isn't doesn't doesn't that make sense that this is a true religion? Because religion now we as human beings should change our standards to make them match the commands of Allah and the commands of the hadith. Do you understand? We should change our standards to make them match our religion. The religion should not change. If a religion changes the standards to, you know, appeal to people in 2022, that's not a religion. And we should not trust it. So now we knowing all these, you know, we answered all these questions, alhamdulillah. Let's talk about, you know, certain conclusions now. Let's conclude certain things. Number one, if you verify that there is a specific command that is coming from Allah, if you verify that it's authentic, coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or coming from the Prophet wasallam, you have to follow it regardless if it makes sense to you or not. Again, let me repeat. If you verify that there is a specific command that's either coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran or coming from the Prophet wasallam, which is ultimately coming from Allah through the hadith or through the sunnah, you as a Muslim, as a believer, you have to follow it. Even if you do not understand the wisdom behind it, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable. That is, a, by the way, there, there's no debate about that. There is not a single debate about this. This is what a believer must do. Do you understand? So if you hear about a specific command and this command doesn't, eh, you're like, I'm not, I'm not feeling comfortable. Like the, Based on my own mindset, this command doesn't make sense doesn't matter you have to follow it you understand it'll be great if you understand it. it'll be great if you're gonna feel great about it and make you know you're gonna feel comfortable about it but even if you don't allah is not again allah does not cater to your own needs allah does not cater to your own you know comfort zone allah's not gonna create a command and be like well if you're okay with it you can follow it but if you're not then don't worry about it allah, no <laughs> it doesn't work that way you can, Allah is telling you, try to understand the wisdom behind that. That's why we go back to the scholars, to the companions who explain certain things, right? And it's all mentioned in authentic books of hadith and sunnah and tafsir and all these things, right? That's why we need those things. But after reading, now, first of all, if you don't want to look up a command and you're mad about it, then this is on you, not on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If there is a verse in the Quran that you are, and, and like our sisters here, you know, they're asking about it. They're showing initiative. They want to know. Because some other sisters, unfortunately, will hear certain things about, you know, men and women. They will read a verse in the Quran and be like, I'm not doing that. That is unfair. And that's it. They wouldn't even try to find the truth. And or like the explanation or the interpretation or what. It And even though if they try to do it and the response they got 
did not make them feel good or was not what they were expecting, that doesn't mean that they are exempt from following. The, they have to follow the command regardless. So this is a rule that we have to understand. Now, so that is the first one of the first, you know, that, that's the first conclusion that we have to get. The second conclusion is, now, you not understanding a command or you not feeling good about it does not mean that the command is unfair or it's wrong. No, that means your understanding of it is not up to, you know, the level of the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We said our knowledge and wisdom is nothing compared to the knowledge and wisdom of Allah. Allah knows better. Allah knows better. Allah knows every command. And this is, this is the second conclusion right there. Every command that Allah gave us was for our own benefit. And every command that Allah forbade us from doing something was for our own benefit. Why? Because Allah knows about us what we do not know. Remember, Allah knows us better than we know ourselves. Allah knows the future and what's going to happen to this world. And we don't. We don't know the future, but Allah does. So when Allah, again, when you verify that this command is coming from Allah, follow it. Not because you, well, number one, because you have to. That's, again, it's obligate. It's an obligation. And if you don't, if you refuse to do so, you're sinful. It's that simple. But also, have trust in Allah. Because you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the ultimate knowing and the ultimate, you know, wise. We are not. We're not even close. We make mistakes and dumb mistakes sometimes and be like, how did I do that? Allah never makes mistakes. So that is the second conclusion, which is trust in Allah's wisdom and knowledge. He knows that if we follow this command, this is going to be a benef beneficial to us. And if we don't, it's going to be harmful for us and it's on us. You understand? So Allah knows what's good for us and what's not. And that's why Allah tells us what to do and what not to do in many situations. Most of the situations. That's how we, we live by the guidelines of Allah. We always mention this. Quran is our manual. If you want to live in this life, a happy life and a happy afterlife, you know, in the hereafter, Follow the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet. Otherwise, you're doomed to fail. Just it's that simple. Another uh, uh, conclusion that we wanted, the third one, is that Allah never commits injustices. Allah said, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya ibadi inni haramtu dhulma ala nafsi. We talked about this in the episode of the injustice, you know, earlier in this season. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not commit any types of injustices. This is Allah made it a rule upon himself to never commit any type of injustice. Allah says, Inni ala nafsi. I forbade injustice upon myself. Allah is telling us this. So for the sisters or anybody who is claiming that Allah is being uh, you know, unjust when it comes to uh, men, preferring men over women, come on. Allah himself is telling you, I will never commit injustice. Yet you're accusing Allah somehow, and maybe many of you indirectly, of being unjust. Do you think it makes sense? Now, and we also said earlier that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created both genders. Why would Allah prefer one over the other when he created both? When he created both. So keep that in your mind. Also, and this is something that we, we don't remember or we don't even want to talk about. And when we do or someone reminds us of it, we accuse them of being, oh, so you, you're saying that men are better than women, which is this. The first human being was Adam. Eve did not exist when Adam was created. 
Okay. Eve didn't exist. This is these are facts. These are not this is not a fairy tale. This is not a speculation. Allah created Adam and Adam stayed alone for a while. When the angels prostrated, they prostrated only to Adam. There was no Eve. It's not like they were like, oh no, we're not gonna prostrate. Eve didn't exist back then. You know, when Satan came and went inside of Adam and tried to, you know, see how he can control, it wasn't just Adam again. Then later on, Eve was created from one of the ribs of Adam. She was created from Adam. Do you understand? So Eve was created from Adam. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the chapter of Nisa, verse number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? Ya ayyuhal nas, ittaqu rabbakum alladhi khalaqakum min nafsin wahida Here's what's fascinating about this verse. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to us, to the believers. He said, uh, all you believers, you know, fear me because I created you from one soul. I created you from one soul. Okay. And from that one soul, I created its spouse or his spouse which is Eve. So Allah saying, from Adam, I created Eve, right? But here's the fascinating part. Allah saying, I created you, talking to us, from one soul. Eve didn't come in the picture. Do you understand? Like, I created you from one soul. Logically speaking, all children come from a father and a mother. Parents, right? That's That's the... The product, like we are products of our parents, you know, physically at least. So when Allah's telling us, I created you from one soul, he's talking about Adam. That's what's referred to one soul. How's that? How does that work? Why would Allah say, I created you from one soul instead of saying, I created you from two souls, from a father and a mother, Adam and Eve? Why didn't Allah say that? For one simple reason. Eve herself was created from Adam, from that one soul. So ultimately, we all go back to Adam. Do you guys understand? Like Allah didn't say I created you from two souls because it wouldn't be accurate. Because Eve herself is created from Adam. So we're technically, ultimately, all of us, all of us, all of mankind, including Eve, were created from one soul, which is the soul of Adam. Nafsin wahida. And not a lot of people talk about that. Actually, not a lot of people pay attention to this fact that we all came from one soul, not two. Subhanallah. I mean, physically, yes, we came from Adam and Eve. Do you understand? Physically, but Eve herself came from Adam. So technically speaking, logically speaking, we came from one soul. And a lot of people, sometimes those who know that fact, they don't they just fail to mention it, but not a lot of people, by the way, pay attention to this little detail that Allah mentioned to us in the Quran. Now, does that mean men are better than women? No, it just it's a fact. Allah created Adam first. Then from Adam, Eve came. So a lot of women who are attacking men and saying, well, men, and now some men, just to be honest, they deserve to be attacked. But we're talking about in general, right? Uh, they forgot that Eve came from Adam. And when they do remember, or if someone like myself, for example, I'm reminding you right now, you're like, well, that means you're trying to say that men are better than women. No, I can't say something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say. 
Now we're going to talk about the verses that are quote, quote unquote controversial verses that like oh refer to men are more preferred than women. We'll talk about that. But for now, we're stating a fact. Keep that in mind. Adam was the first human being. Then Eve came from Adam. Then us, basically, the children of Adam. Now, another thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran, actually in the chapter of Ala Imran, verse number 36, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? Very explicitly in the Quran, males and females are different. They're not equal. Again, males and females are not equal. Now, does that mean the word not equal? Does that mean one is better? And one is not, or one is lesser than, no, it just means they're different. They're not the same. Not equal here means it. they're not the same. Come on, biologically, they're not the same. Mentally, they're not the same. Both of them, now, there are common factors between males and females. They're both human beings. They're both biologically have similarities and they have differences, right? They both have the same amount of chances equal chances of again if getting into jannah paradise and they both have equal chances of getting into hellfire now how to get there is they have again equal number of like things that they have to do they have similarities and they have differences sometimes men need to do something different from women and sometimes women need to do something different from men to get to paradise and avoid hellfire that simple they're different that does not mean that one is better than the other. Again, I keep reminding you, Allah created both genders. And because Allah is the one who created both genders, Allah has the absolute right, the absolute right to put certain rules on males and put other you know, sets of rules on females. Allah has the absolute right. He created you. So Allah will define the role of men in islam in society in a muslim society and allah will define the role of women in society as well he has the right because he's the one who created both you understand now let's take an example like similarities let's talk about similarities of like the equal chances of going to paradise inshallah praying five times a day fasting ramadan doing hajj Seeing the shahada, paying zakah, all of these things, men and women are equal. Now, there are certain differences. For example, men do not have to wear hijab, right? Now, men are responsible for the religiousness of their household, for the, of the children. And if one of them goes astray because of the lack of like care or the lack of like, you know, uh, trying to better your family, Men are held accountable. That's why if a man, if a wife leaves the house and she's not dressed modestly and she's not like a, a, a doesn't look like a Muslim, if she's revealing so much, yes, she will be held accountable, but also her husband. Her husband, because he didn't try to teach her, he didn't convince her to leave the house in a more Islamic way. So when you when 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 a woman says, "Well, I, I'm independent. I, I don't care. It's uh, it's you know my body. I have the right to do whatever." Unfortunately, that's not the case if you're married, your husband, if you're married to a Muslim, inshallah, hopefully, because that is, otherwise it's not marriage. If you're married to a Muslim, that Muslim husband will be held accountable for you leaving the house in a way that, you know, Allah did not uh, command us to do or forbade us from doing. 
you know, men are responsible and they have, there's a lot of burden on men and there's a lot of burden on women. Just do different types of burdens. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be a neck for neck. They're different. I want you to understand this. They are different. And the word different does not mean that men are better or women are better or men are less or women are less. No, it's not. They're just different. They have different responsibilities. Yes, they have common responsibilities, but at the same time, they have different, like men, for those of you who do not know, men should also cover their bodies from their belly button down to their knees. Should not show. And I see a lot of brothers, unfortunately, when they go to the beach, so they wear the swimming shorts and the swimming shorts are way below the stomach. So they're showing all the stomach. This is aura, by the way. This is like a woman when you, you know, when, when, when a man, uh, when a woman is not wearing hijab, it's the same thing. You're showing aura or a, a woman showing, you know, parts of her body that you shouldn't show. That is exactly the same. And unfortunately, a lot of Muslims do that. A lot of Muslim brothers do that. And this is aura. You should not show anything below your belly button. And again, swim shorts could be above the knees. You should not show that it's aura. It's 100% aura. Aura means a body part that you should not show Islamically. That's what aura means. So you should not show that, but then again, they don't follow, but they're sinful. See, they're not any better. Now, why do, does a woman have to you know, cover more? Because a woman by nature is an attractive human being. Like she, she's more attractive. Allah created women to be more attractive. This is something good. Just cover it for the sake because Allah does not want fitna to be caused. Allah does not, you know, want men, whether they're Muslim or not, to look at you as an object instead of looking at talking to you and you know listening to what you have to say. And you're this is like you know ABC hijab, right? We know about this, and it makes sense. Being modest, being all these things, Allah created women to be more attractive. That's why women have to cover more. It's wallahi biological. It's just it's very logical as well. So it's, it's, again, it's these things, men and women, and it doesn't have to be a matter of equality. Equality by today's standards is different from when, it, when we talk about equality in Islam. Equality in Islam is meaning, it means that a woman has the absolute right to go to Jannah the same way as a man has the absolute right to go to Jannah. It's all about the hereafter. Forget about this dunya. You know, some sisters, they get offended. And, and again, I understand that this could be lack of knowledge. They get offended that, you know, they have to stand behind men in, in congregation prayer. So would you rather, and do you know why sisters go in the back? Do you guys, I hope you guys know. Like, I'm pretty sure, inshallah, most of you know, because we talked about this. Because men are not supposed to look at our sisters when they're bending over to pray. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's to dignify a woman while she's praying. Preserve her dignity. No one should look at her while she's bending over and when she's you know, doing sujood and prostrating. It's for the women's sake. Not because men are superior, they should be ahead of the, you know, the, the group and they should lead the salah. No. Do you understand that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not prefer a gender over the other because Allah, again, guess what? Created both genders. It's not like, astaghfirullah, Allah created males and then someone else. No. Allah's the only God and Allah created everything, basically. So Allah does not prefer one thing. Now, the only preferation happens when it comes to deeds, which is up to us. This is when Allah, and that's not men versus women or males versus females. This is human beings versus one another. Two men will not be the same in the sight of Allah if one of them is better than the other in terms of good deeds. Or if one of them is more of a sinner, they won't be equal. 
a woman could be a billion times better than a man because of her deeds. So keep that idea that women were created to be lesser than men out of your head because it's not true. It's simply not true. Now, let's move on from this. Uh, I want to address Kayla's uh, uh, question first because it's just a one simple question, which is she asked about a, a verse in the chapter of Nusat, verse number 15. Uh, she said, you know, in the verse that says, وَاللَّاتِ يَأْتِينَ الْفَاحِشَةَ مِنْ نِسَائِكُمْ فَاسْتَشْهِدُوا عَلَيْهِنَّ أَرْبَعُنَّ مِنْكُمْ فَإِنْ شَهَدُوا فَأَمْسِكُوا هُنَّ فِي الْبِيُوتِ حَتَّى يَتَوَفَّهُنَّ الْمَوْتِ أَوْ يَجْعَلَ اللَّهُ لَهُنَّ سَبِيلًا Now, uh, uh, Kayla, again, thank you so much for your question. And Kayla was a little concerned and 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 she, like I said, she admits that she might have misunderstood the verse or misinterpreted it. Uh, she's basically talking about an issue that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said if a woman commits adultery and she's caught by four people by the way four people need to witness the actual process of the intercourse of the adultery and even if the man and, and, and the woman who are committing adultery are undercover that's not witnessing do you understand do you see how difficult it is to actually have someone in public court in, a, in an Islamic court being grabbed on, on, and, and held as uh, someone who committed adultery, four different people must see the act of, uh, you know, of intercourse itself. But Allah is saying, if a woman is caught, she should be locked in her house until she dies, until forever, basically, like you know, life sentence in her uh, in her home. However, men when they commit zina, when they commit zina means adultery, when they commit zina. Then they are being tor- they are tortured. They have to be tortured. You know, uh, like they have to be harmed physically. And then if they repent, they uh, could be forgiven. And if uh, and if not, then they should be you know like getting punished and unharmed as, as until they repent. Right. So now Kayla's problem, which on the surface you'd be like, why there's a difference now. Why a woman should be locked in her home until the day she dies, and why a man could get off easily if they just said, we were repented, we were good, we feel guilty. Now, Kayla, uh, let me address this, and this is a very simple answer for this, that this verse, remember in the beginning of the episode, we said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowed, the only one allowed, to abrogate certain verses in the Qur'an, meaning to cancel certain verses in the Qur'an with new verses. So new verses Allah could send that will cancel old verses. The reason why you don't hear any scholar talking about this punishment, that a woman, if she is caught, and again, by four people witnessing the act of adultery, you don't hear any scholar saying, if a woman is caught like this, she should be held in her home until the day she dies, because simply that verse was abrogated in the Qur'an with uh, verse number two in the chapter of An-Nur. Allah, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed later on the chapter of An-Nur, verse number two, that Straight up abrogates all of this when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Azani, Azaniatu Azani, Fajlidu Kulu Wahidu Minhuma, Meatu Jalda. Allah saying, A male adulterer and a female adulterer, like a male or a female, when they commit adultery, and if they're caught again by four people, the same, the same ruling, then they should be uh, whipped a hundred whip, and that's it. So both are equal. Now, the reason why Allah was addressing this was in the beginning of Islam, so Allah wanted to basically completely destroy adultery because before islam adultery was a very common thing again there was no 
rules about getting married or it just and women used to practice this way more than men that's why men had a easier going uh, again to address a specific mentality pre-islam right and uh, women used to like do a lot of prostitution and all these things so a lot to basically make it very difficult for women to do this and men as well again there's torturing involved then allah said in the beginning of islam that they should never be allowed to leave the house and all these things but then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when now muslims are ready they understand that this is a big deal adultery is, a, is such a bad thing allah now tells you whether it's a male or a female who commit you know if they got caught committing adultery they should be whipped a hundred and this is a capital punishment again there could be leeway and, and other punishments regarding it. it's all up to the by the way sharia like we mentioned in uh, again early episodes of sharia allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the final verdict to the judge the muslim judge who would if they got caught again but it's very difficult to get four people that means it's ridiculous right like this has to be like a really public fahsha basically for four people to actually witness this uh and the the judge could have a leeway and get him off with a fine or whatever do you understand but uh, the, what's important is in the chapter of nur it shows you that both are equal in terms of punishment now there's one more thing that Kayla mentioned that it, she she said that the, the 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 verse that in the chapter of Nisa we're talking about two men being together uh, and that is that verse is, is is by unanimous consensus of the scholars it's not true it, it's not meant that two men are basically engaging in homosexual uh, like sex no that means two types of men what's meant in the Arabic language it's two types of men. The men who are engaging in adultery, there are two types, a muhassan and ghir muhassan, meaning a married man or a non-married man, someone who's single. They're both basically will be punished and, and, and having harm, again, according to that verse. So it doesn't mean that there are two men laying together. It means, and again, there was a minor, and linguistically, there's a few minor uh, a group of scholars who said maybe that was uh, the homosexuality was meant, but the majority of the scholars, they basically said, no, it's linguistic, linguistically it means that it's two types of men, the muhassan and ghir muhassan. And that was actually later on expanded in another hadith that the muhassan and the ghir muhassan, it's, they basically have to get punished. Like it doesn't exempt you from committing adultery, being a muhassan or not. So that is, that is I hope that this answers Kayla's question. So that verse was abrogated again. That verse was, and I want to get back to why would Allah abrogate a verse? We mentioned this in the beginning of the episode because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to address sometimes very in very by the way this happened rarely like for example alcohol alcohol in the quran was when it first was revealed allah said what alcohol has certain very minor you know uh advantages or very minor benefits but the harm coming out of it is way far worse than the benefits and that's allah didn't say it's haram and that's it and the companions used to in the beginning of islam used to drink they used to drink then Allah revealed later on, do not drink uh, or don't pray while you are intoxicated. Then the companions used to drink outside of the prayer times. Then when the now the Muslims are ready, because Allah understands us, do not forget this. Allah knows how we operate. Our Allah knows our mechanisms. Allah created us. So Allah is revealing certain verses to pre mentally prepare us. And then Allah eventually said basically do not come near alcohol it's 100% forbidden and it's a major sin 
This is abrogation in the Quran. Allah started with, it's okay, but it's just, slow, you know, uh, alcohol is way more harmful than it's beneficial. Then Allah says, do not come near salah while you're intoxicated. Then later on, Allah gave the final verdict, which is no more alcohol. You cannot drink alcohol, period. Now, does that mean that uh, no Muslims, for example, have like when they become Muslims, they have to go through the steps? Like they can still drink because they used to drink before? No. Whether you are no Muslim or you were born a Muslim, you have to follow the final verdict in the Quran. The final, you know, like those abrogated verses, we do not take them. Now, we understand the reasons for them, like we said, but these are not our commands. These are not our rulings. Do you understand that? It's very clear. Because Allah, only the, the early Muslims, because there was no such thing as Islam before them. There was no such thing as Islam. So Allah, they were allowed to, you know, uh, Allah was giving them the chance to change their mindset. But Islam has been established for almost 1500 years now. So you can't be like, well, um, I just became a Muslim. Can I stop? And I used to drink. Can I? No, it doesn't work. You have to immediately stop drinking. Otherwise, you're sinful. That's it. Uh, and it's a major sin. Uh, so now, uh, so I hope, Kayla, that answers your question. There was another question. I remember Kayla sent me a second email, and it's not really related to this. Uh, and I believe I already responded to her via email, but I'll just, I'm just going to you know, reiterate the, the, the response, which is basically she was saying that in an in, in interfaith uh, marriage episode was a while ago. I talked about that um, men, Muslim men, of course, as we know, they are allowed to marry uh, people from Ahli Kitab. Uh, women from Ahli Kitab, like uh, Jews or Christians, but it's not recommended, and I mentioned this, it's not recommended for them to do so in a non-Muslim land. And this was uh, according to Ibn Abbas, one of the famous companions, and and, and uh, there were a lot of scholars, very few, this again, it's an opinion, it's not, this is not a haram thing, right? It's an opinion of scholars, and they have really good reason, and I mentioned the reason in, in the episode, which is basically when you live in a non-Muslim land and you marry non-Muslim, if anything happens, if anything goes wrong between, in, in this marriage, and you have children, the woman will have the full rights to take those children if it's her country, right? If it's a Western, for example, country, not a Muslim country. And then the, the father who is supposed to raise uh, his children uh, as Muslims will lose that basically custody battle and they might not grow. And by the way, wallahi, 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 Allah is my witness. I've seen live examples in, 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 in the circle of people that I know that are suffering right now because when they got divorced from their wives who were non-Muslims, the children were raised torn between Islam and, for example, Christianity or Islam and even atheism uh, because now the, 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 the father is a Muslim, the mother is a Jew or she's, she's Christian, but then the kids are like, I don't know what to choose, so they become atheists sometimes. Wallahi, I know live examples and I've witnessed this. And again, it's a, it's an opinion. It's it's not what I had to, I, I, I think I clarified that this is an opinion and I agree with that opinion, but that doesn't mean that this is the only opinion. Uh, that yes, a Muslim should marry, uh, uh, can marry, I mean, uh, a woman from the people of the book 
in a Muslim land. Otherwise, it becomes a very discouraged act and for the reasons that we just mentioned. So this, I just wanted to let you know that, and, and she said that if someone already married a, a, a non-Muslim or a Christian or, or Jewish woman in a non-Muslim land, does that mean their marriage is, is invalid? Absolutely not. Like I said, this is an opinion by one of the scholars that they made it a condition actually for a man to marry a, a woman from the people of the book that it has to be happening in a Muslim uh, uh, in a Muslim country or in a Muslim land, they made it a condition, but th that doesn't mean again it's an opinion. It's not the majority of the opinion. It's an opinion. So I just wanted to clarify this in case of you guys misunderstood that I said that it's a must, and the marriage is invalid. No, tr the marriage is valid, uh, but there are actually other factors that I mentioned. I don't want to go back to that. The woman has to be chastised, meaning she did not sleep around and uh, all these things. And you can go back to the interfaith episode and, 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 you know, uh, listen to it. But yeah, I wanted to clarify this. So Kayla, again, thank you so much for your questions. And I hope this answered both questions. Now let's move on to Helka's uh, questions, which she has the bulk of the questions. And she, I can tell from the email, she's a little bit frustrated and she's, you know, uh, heartbroken from certain things, but wallah, it's all due to, like I said, a few things. Uh, number one, misinterpreting certain verses or certain ahadith or having a mindset that is not open-minded and it's unfortunately stained by modern society and stained by certain cultures. And that, like I said, you have to just leave out of the door if you are willing to understand because at the end of the day, whether you like it or not, and I say this with the utmost respect, whether you like the rulings or the verses or not, whether it makes you feel comfortable or not, that does not exempt you from following it. You have to accept it. If it doesn't make sense to you, which we'll, that's what we'll try to do today. We'll, inshallah, explain it to you. Maybe, inshallah, that will make you accept it. But whether you accept it or not, you have no choice but to follow it. Do you understand? Like, this is the ruling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like I said, He has the absolute right when He created both genders to give us the rulings on what a woman should do and what a man should do. And I, like I said, that does not mean one is better than the other. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like I said, when he said that both genders are not the same, both genders are different, uh, let me give you an example to show you that that doesn't mean that men are better. One of the companions came to the Prophet sallallahu and he asked him this. He said, who is the most worthy person to have my good company and my good treatment and my utmost respect and all these things. So the Prophet said, your mother. So the companion said, okay, wonderful. Now, who is next in line? Then the Prophet said, your mother. Okay. Then who's next a third time? Then the Prophet said, your mother. Then the man said, okay, then who is, then who's after? Then the Prophet ﷺ said, your father. So look at this. The Prophet ﷺ said, your mother should, is the most worthy of your good company, your good treatment and everything. Give her everything. And when the man asked, who else? The Prophet ﷺ said, your mother. Then the man said, okay, who else? Your mother. Three times. Then the fourth time, the Prophet ﷺ said, your father. Now, should fathers around the world get upset? They should feel offended? Should they feel offended? Because the father came all the way. Does that mean that 
women are better than men fathers are ignored and neglected and not being you know uh, appreciated in islam no it just means that the role of a mother is different from the role of a father and it also means that the role like how children should behave towards their mother should be a little bit extra in terms of respect and love towards the mother than towards the father does that mean that they should not respect the father no and that is the main issue unfortunately some people think when someone should be treated in a specific way differently from another one that means one of them is better no it's because each of them had a role allah subhanahu wa ta'ala understands that women are so strong mothers and specifically because they carry the children you know around nine months in their in their womb and all these things and they suffer you know they do the breastfeeding and they do all these things and they goes through a lot and allah is showing is asking us to show appreciation to the mother more than the father the father takes care of the family financially and we're going to talk about that but the mother is a mother does that mean fathers are like uh, afterthought in Islam? No, they're not. It's just different roles. Do you understand? It's all about the roles of Allah. Now, one of the things that disturbed uh, Helka was the uh, idea that women must obey their husbands. And she basically was asking to what degree and to what you know extent, like, a woman like should, you know, like if a husband say anything that's ridiculous, a woman should follow it. If a husband say you're not leaving the house ever, does that mean she has to obey the husband? No, there are conditions and rules to that. And and that is the beauty of our religion. Our religion is not an illogical or irrational religion. It's so rational because it's coming from the one who created us. It makes sense. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the chapter of Nisa verse number 34 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said Allah is saying men have certain privileges over women Here is the big, the word قوامون, that word What is those privileges? What are those privileges? Because it, the, the public or the common interpretation is Oh, they are more privileged than women in Islam. No. The word qawwa means they have certain duties. They are privileged with having certain duties over the women. Like what? Allah actually mentions this. A man, a husband must protect his wife and provide her with security and safe place to live in. That's number one. That is what a qawam means. does not mean he's better. He has to provide certain things. They are privileged in terms of they have to provide certain things. So that's number one. A husband must protect his wife in Islam. And he must provide her with security and safe place to live in. Number two, a husband must be financially or must financially support his family, his wife, and then his children, of course. Now, this case, so basically must take care of all the essential stuff, not the extra stuff. Like, for example, uh, the essential stuff meaning like, uh, you know, must pay for the house, must pay for the food, must pay for the drinks, must pay for her clothing. These are the essential things, right? For the bills, for example, like electricity, heat, whatever. But then if there are extra stuff, now men should treat their wives and give them, but I'm saying they're not obligated. So the obligation comes for the essential things, Right. 
But then if a woman wants to go on a trip or wants to do this or wants to go out and have fun, the man is not obligated to pay for that, even though we are supposed to take care of them and pay for that. But again, I'm just saying not obligated. The obligation comes to the essential you know, things when it comes to the household. Now, if a woman, there are exemptions to that case. For example, if, if the financial situation is a little difficult, like in the West, you know, Sometimes in, in the West, couple do struggle financially and it's not easy for the men to just take care of, you know, the whole house. And that's actually the majority of it. Then if the woman, here's the thing, wants to, if the woman wants to participate a little, the man had, has to pay the majority of everything if they both are, you know, contributing and it's a partnership when it comes to spending on the house. The man has to pay the overwhelming majority and the woman can pay a little bit if she wants to. She's not forced if a woman wants, if a woman is working and the man can take care of the house on his own, that money's for her. The money coming from her work is for her. If she chooses to help out with the house, mashallah, she will be rewarded, good on her. Otherwise, she's not obligated to do any of this. Do you guys understand? It's very clear. So the financial burden is on the husband. The protection burden is on the husband. Finding and, and, and providing a safe place is on the husband. Okay? Now, in return... Allah saying, now Allah is, let's look, Allah is defining the role of a husband and defining the role of a wife in a relationship or in a marriage. Now, the third thing is a wife. A wife should obey, must obey her husband in a permissible, in permissible matters, meaning like not sinful stuff, like like she shouldn't obey her husband when it comes to sins. And the Prophet actually mentioned, uh, this is a hadith by the Prophet meaning what? Uh, a wife must obey her, her husband, of course, when it's something that's permissible in Islam, number one. Number two, if whatever the husband is asking of her or from her to do is something that's reasonable, is something that she can do, is something that actually makes sense. And the word ma'roof meaning it's something that's common. It's some, some, something that's like known in society. It's not something that's odd or weird. Like, for example, a husband who comes to his wife and he's like, from now on, you're not eating shrimp. Why? Not because we can't afford it. It's because I just said so. You should obey me and you must obey me. You're not allowed to eat shrimp. You cannot do that. A wife should not and, you know, cannot, uh, if she doesn't want to, of course, obey her husband when it comes to weird matters that are unexplained like that. He just wants, if a husband wants to just to practice his manhood and say, hey, you can, you have to obey whatever I say. Actually, that is not true. The Prophet tells us if, if it's something that's bizarre and doesn't make sense and the, just the husband is saying this for the sake of like his wife to obey him, then yeah, it doesn't work. The wife does not have to obey it. If the husband says, for example, I don't want you to you to, to wear brown or whatever. Why? I just don't want you. I, just, I don't want you to. The wife does not have to. Again, it's bizarre and it doesn't make sense. If there's a valid reason, then the wife should obey and must obey her husband. And again, it's a matter of love. My dear sisters, this is not a dictatorship. Don't look at it as, I should not obey my husband. This is not a dictatorship. It's not, actually. You should obey your husband out of love. When it comes to, again, permissible things, like if your husband tells you, take off the hijab, or I don't want you to wear a hijab, you cannot obey him when it comes to that because you will be sinful in the sight of Allah. Your husband will be sinful as well. Like I said, your husband will have the burden on him as well. He will answer to Allah. But you, Allah told you, gave you a license, do not obey your husband when it comes to stuff like that. 
you have to wear the hijab if you want to. If you don't want to, you're sinful as well because the hijab is, as we know, a mandatory command that's coming from Allah that we have. Our sisters must uh, follow and you know uh, and, and and do. So if your husband asks you to do sinful things or things that don't make sense to just practice his, you know, manhood or whatever, then you are not ob- obligated to uh, or uh, follow or obey him. Otherwise, do it because you love the man. You know, don't don't think of the relationship because I feel like sometimes women and unfortunately our sisters, it's it's a battle, it's a war between a wife and a husband. And I'm going to prove to you that I don't need you now. Number one. You know, when wives say, I don't need your protection, I'm an independent woman. When they hear that Allah is asking men to provide protection for their wives and safety and security, they say, I do not need his protection. You're denying something that Allah made obligatory on husbands. So you're refusing something that Allah said that it should be done by the husbands. Think about this for a second. When you claim that you do not need protection, you're basically saying, oh Allah, thank you. But no, thank you. I don't care. I don't want it. Don't do that. That puts you in a very bad position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like I said, Allah knows us better than we know ourselves. Trust in Allah. And don't be very bold with Allah because this is very sinful, by the way. To reject something that Allah said that you should do or should be done to you by your husband, like protection and financial you know, responsibilities, don't say, no, I'm good. Thank you. That's not good. Trust me. So, that's it. It's that simple. That is what's meant by obeying your husbands. If they're good people, number one, if you believe that your husband is a good human being, he's not a dictator, he doesn't mistreat you. And again, it's all about love. It is a partnership. But in certain things, husbands must do certain things and wives must do certain things. Allah showed us the responsibilities of both. That's it. Simple. It doesn't have to be war. It doesn't have to be, oh, men are better than women. No, it's not. Men have different responsibilities than women when it comes to marriage. Simple. So so that is, you know, again, and I know some, some women, they try to change the roles that Allah designated for men and women according to our modern society, and that is unacceptable in Islam. That is unacceptable. Uh, now, uh, Final thoughts on this whole obedience thing. The ultimate obedience must be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than to our Prophet Any other type of obedience, like I said, must be conditional. Like we said, not sinful, number one, and something that makes common sense. It's not something that's, you know, bizarre or whatever. And think about it. The companions used to obey the Prophet blindly. Does that mean it was out of fear? It was out of love and respect. The wives of the Prophet ﷺ used to obey him all the time. Yes, there used to be arguments and all these things. Human nature, we talked about this. But at the end of the day, they used to gladly and willingly and lovingly obey the Prophet ﷺ. The wives of the companions used to obey their husbands, again, lovingly and passionately. Yes, there used to be marriage, marital discussions and arguments and so forth. But so what? It happens. But a woman... A wife should obey her husband when it comes to something that's halal, when it comes to something that makes sense, out of love. And the husband must do certain things, like Allah, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded both genders to act when they are in a marriage relationship. Simple. So I hope that answers you know, your first question. Now, let's talk about intimacy. 
So Halka had a, a very uh, also a concerned question when she was concerned that uh, a husband, uh, and this is a hadith by the Prophet who said that if a husband asks his wife to have to become intimate with him, basically uh, sexually, uh, uh, and she rejects uh, three separate times, she is cursed by the angels. Actually, this hadith is hundred percent authentic. Yes, it is authentic, and the Prophet said this hadith. But let's talk about the interpretation of the hadith. What it's meant by abat. Abat means refused. If the wife refused. But here's what abat truly means also in the Arabic language. And I told you, interpretation matters. So abat means that if a husband comes to his wife and his wife said, no, I'm not going to be intimate with you on purpose. She had an agenda, not because she was tired, not because she had a long day, not because she was, you know, uh, emotionally not available or she was stressed or no, none of that. Any of, if any of this was the case, that's fine. That's not what the Prophet is talking about. He's talking about a woman using in uh, the intimacy or using basically sex as a weapon against her husband. If she's using that against her husband, then that's a problem. She, If she does this three times, not even just once, look how Allah is merciful. If a woman is manipulating her husband, manipulating him emotionally by rejecting, some wives could do that to basically make a statement or to force their husbands to say yes to something specific. If a woman is doing that three times in a row, She's cursed by the angels because she's not, let's be honest, that means she's not a good wife. If if she's playing the sex card with her husband or she's playing the intimacy card with her husband to just emotionally manipulate him to do something she wants, yeah, that's not a good relationship. So yes, she will be cursed by the angels if she does this three times. So there's a big difference. If a woman refuses to you know, become intimate with her husband, because of something that she can't control, like she's emotionally not there or she's not feeling it, just genuinely not feeling it. And that's why the process, that's why Allah SWT said three times. Because that means she has to be intentionally trying to do this three times in a row. Right? If she's tired at work or if she had a long day. And of course, Helka mentioned something that I have to also mention that she said that if she's on, you know, like for example, on her period. By the way, a woman on her period, she's not allowed to be intimate with her husband. And a husband is not allowed to be intimate with his wife. That's not allowed in Islam. Husbands too are not allowed to manipulate their wives and use intimacy to get to certain things that they want. Now, Halka is saying, well, why don't I see... Because now, okay, we know that she's a wife is being cursed if she rejects it. And now, Halka, now you get it. Now... She has to be having an agenda, something that's evil, like she's planning something, manipulating her husband emotionally. But I don't hear, that's what Helka's saying, I don't hear anything regarding men not being intimate with their wives. Well, I don't think this is accurate or this is correct. The Prophet ﷺ, this mentioned authentic hadith, the Prophet ﷺ gathered the young companions one day. There were a few companions who just got married and they were recently married. And after Salah, the Prophet ﷺ gathered them around him and he gave him a piece of advice. He gave him the talk, basically. And he said this, when you're treating your wives, do not act like animals. Do not act like baha'im. Baha'im is actually a very, you know, like a really bad word for animals. Don't be like an animal savage. Once you get what you need from her, 
you leave her and you walk away without fulfilling her needs. Do not do that. A direct command from the Prophet Again, basically he's he's saying if you are with your wife, this this goes to all Muslims, all the male brothers. When you're intimate with your wife and you let's say you got what you needed and she's still not fulfilled, don't walk away and be like, yeah, I'm done. That's it. No. The Prophet talked about this. You have to fulfill your wife's needs. You have to. Don't act like an animal. You know, a senseless, emotionless animal who just, okay, you got what you want. I'm, I'm, I'm walking. I'm out. Thank you. So I hope that answered your question when it comes to intimacy. Now, another thing that Halka was talking about, which is the idea that there's a hadith by the Prophet Sallallahu that he said, if, if a man has a, a wound or a scratch, uh, or if he's bleeding from head to toe and there's like pus coming out of him and a, his wife licks it, it won't be enough to basically show uh, his importance or she won't give him his due basically or give him his rights, his full rights. Now, let me just explain to you, number one, the, the second part of the hadith, which is like bleeding from head to toe and pus and all these weird things, this is a weak, very weak hadith. All the scholars, the consensus, like the, the the majority of the scholars, this, this is a very weak hadith because of the chain of narrations had like a lot of issues. So it's a weak hadith. However, the hadith that the, if a man has a scratch on his wife, basically licks it like a scratch on his head or whatever, she won't do him uh, justice basically because how important a husband is. By the way, and this is a true hadith. This part is a true hadith. And this hadith actually has, there's something else that was said in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ said that if, uh, I know the Prophet ﷺ is telling us, I know that prostrating to one another is haram, is not allowed to prostrate to men or women. But if it was halal, I would have uh, asked or commanded women to prostrate to their husbands out of respect, like Adam, basically out of respect. Not out of anything else. Now, number one, when it comes to this whole scratch and licking, the Prophet is not asking us to do this literally. It's a metaphor. How important a husband is in the sight of Allah. And how important a husband should be to his wife. The wife should be very important, but we're talking about, I'll tell you why the husband is more important even and mentioned more in, in our hadith and the Quran. I'll tell you why in a second. But this is a metaphor. The Prophet is not commanding every wife to lick the husband, her husband's wounds and be like, even that won't be enough. Don't take it literal. If you do it out of love and whatever, like me, let me help you. Let me lick this for you, whatever, because it's bleeding so much. You can do it with your fingers or whatever. It's really not literal. It's just to show how important a husband is to his wife. When the Prophet said, Wallahi, if prostrating wasn't haram, I would have commanded women. Why though? Why would the Prophet command women to prostrate to their husbands if it wasn't haram? Or why would the Prophet metaphorically say, if a woman licks her husband's, you know, scratch or wound, whatever, it won't be even enough? Flash news and the most important news in marriage to women. Something very important to women to understand and realize. My dear sisters, your husband is one of the guaranteed tickets for you to go to Jannah. Again, treating your husband in a proper manner, in a respectful manner, in a loving manner, is your ticket to Jannah according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than according to the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
That's how important your husband should be to you. He's your ticket to Jannah. Your ticket to Jannah. Free ticket to Jannah. Here you go. Treat him well. That's all That's all you're supposed to do. That's all you're required to do. Treat him well with respect and love. Obey him in the good stuff without getting, you know, without him abusing you or mentally abusing you or anything like that. Live a happy life with your husband. Provide him with, you know, love and, and respect and all these things. And mashallah and inshallah, it will be a free ticket to Jannah. Jannah. That's why your husband is important. He is your ticket to Jannah. You should appreciate that. Again, we're talking about good husbands here. We're not talking about abusive ones. Good people, good Muslims, good believers. Someone who loves you and treats you well. So when you're doing these things to go to Jannah, you're doing it lovingly and, and, and you know gladly and you want to do this because you have a loving husband. But it's important. It's important, will I? You know, uh, beautiful story that happened. A wife, uh, who her husband traveled to do um, uh, to do some trading, and then her brother came to her and he said, uh, "You know, back in the day, the wife did not leave the house uh, if her husband was uh, unless she takes permission from her husband." So uh, her brother came to her and he's like, "Hey, our father is really sick. You need to you need to come and, and visit." And she said, oh, my husband is not here. I, I can't leave. I did not take permission. And of course, back in the day, there was no cell phones. There was no emails. She could not call her husband, right? So the 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 the, the, the brother said, okay, all right, um, I understand, and left. The next day, the brother came. Our father is getting, his condition is getting worse. His condition is getting worse. Come on, we need you. He wants to see you. I can't leave the house, she said. My husband did not give me permission. I cannot leave the house. The third day, dad is getting really in, he's in really bad shape. He's, he's really suffering. I think this is it. This is the end. I cannot leave the house. My, she really wanted to. She really wanted to see her father, but she was fulfilling the commands of the Prophet and the commands of the Quran. I have to obey my husband. I have to take permission before leaving the house. Then they sent a message to the Prophet. Like the, the, the brother went to the Prophet and he said, Can she come? Like, would that exempt her from, you know, like committing a sin for not taking permission from her husband? And the Prophet said, So the husband is not around. He didn't give her permission. The brother said, Yes, he, he doesn't even know. The husband didn't know that this is happening. He's traveling. So the Prophet said, Tell her to stay home. Okay. Again. The next day, it's getting worse and it's getting worse. And the Prophet tell her to stay home. Then the father died. And she didn't even see him when he died. And she stayed home. Then the husband came. And when the husband came, it was already too late. And then she went, you know, to the to see the family and all these things. Because the husband was like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. If, if I was there, I would have told you to go on day one. Of course. He was a loving husband. Now, you tell this story to our sisters today and they're going to say what? What's wrong with her? Is she crazy? Is she his slave? Does she have no personality? Well, lie. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you. You tell this and many of our sisters, and I'm not even talking about non-Muslims. I'm talking about many of our sisters, not all of them, but many of them, will say this is preposterous. This is ridiculous. 
She has zero personality? Like, what's going on here? And they will all be rebuked by her actions, right? Here's what happened. The Prophet ﷺ came to visit them because now he's involved in the situation. He knows what was going on. The husband was there. He walked in. Of course, the Prophet ﷺ was not, never going to go visit them as long as the husband, you know, while the husband wasn't there. So he waited for the husband to come back and all this. And then he went to visit them. He walked in. She was, of course, in a very uh, devastated and sad state. Not because she, you know, of course, because she didn't get the chance to say goodbye to her father, but also because her father was gone. So it's a very difficult, difficult situation. He said this, did you do this? Did you stay because you did not want to disobey, you know, your husband for the sake of Allah and his messengers? She said, yes, O Prophet of Allah. He said, I was informed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you and your father are going to Jannah for your sacrifice for what you did. <laughs> Subhanallah. Again, the Prophet gave her the glad tidings. You and your father shall be in Jannah just because of what you did. He raised the daughter. He was patient while he was dying. And he understood that you were doing this because you did not want to disobey your husband. Because these are the commands. of Not because husbands are like more preferred than wives. No, because these were the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the, you know, the teachings and, and, and the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu Your dad understood this. Your father understood this. And he was patient. And because you did what you did, both of you are in Jannah. Immediately go to Jannah. Now, you know, some jokes are like, what about the husband? He's not going to be with them. Inshallah, he will be with them. But the, the, the hadith focuses on this specific situation, on the father and the daughter. You shall meet together in Jannah. And that is essential and critical, my dear sisters, because you have to think about Jannah. That's the place we all want to be in. Forget about this life and what will people say about you in this life. Like I said, many sisters will be like, this, this, this lady... This sahabiyah, this companion, she didn't know any better. What was she doing? She did not even go to see her father. She cared about the hereafter. She did not care about what people would say in this life. She got what she deserved, which is Jannah. And even, of course, with the mercy of Allah, it's not what she deserved. Allah out of his mercy and generosity. Nobody will, by the way, enter Jannah because they deserve to. Every single human being will enter Jannah because of Allah's generosity, even if you're the most righteous human being on earth. But that teaches us a lesson. There are some people out there who care about what they get in this life. Respect. Independence from my husband. What people say about me and my in my marriage. And some people don't care about any of these shenanigans. They only care about the hereafter. And those are the true winners in the sight of Allah. So that is another uh, you know, uh, thing that I wanted to uh, address regarding you know, Helka's uh, question. Now, there's another question regarding slavery and concubines. So, Helka does not understand why were Muslim men allowed to be intimate with their slaves, basically, or concubines. So, the, the, the term concubine, by the way, is not just an Islamic term. This is pre-Islam. This is in every kind of religion, in every society. The concubine is a, is a, is a well-known term that you could look it up which is basically someone malakat al-yameen this is mentioned in the quran malakat aymanuhum meaning someone that you own in, in and that does mean islam was encouraging slavery but in the terms of battles and whatever and and some some people will have 
women as their concubines. Now, how could Muslim men be allowed to be with women that are not their wives? Well, for a very simple reason. Allah made it halal. مَا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ In the sight of Allah was as halal. Now, they're not equal, and I'm going to mention the difference. They were as halal as getting married. Back in the day. Now, it doesn't exist anymore, but I'm talking about back in the day. And the woman was uh, allowed to be given her freedom and then get married and becoming a wife. So the, uh, being a wife is the higher status a woman could have in a relationship. This is the dignified status. But another dignified status, but it's lesser, like she has less rights than a wife, is a concubine. Something that was made halal by Allah. You cannot say it's haram and you cannot question why because Allah knows better than we do. This helped fix a lot of issues back in the day. A lot of women would, be, would have been thrown in the streets when men owned them. And then again, when had the... the, 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 the by the way, Islam did encourage to free slaves. We know this from numerous narrations. However, owning slaves back in the day was not haram. And here's the big difference between slavery as we know it, for example, with, with the African-Americans, people who came from Africa, and the slavery back in the day with Muslims. Slaves were treated by Muslims the best way. They were treated like basically servants. They would help out. They would, do, they would eat with, with the Muslims. They would have dignified lives. Unlike how... so Because I know the word slavery, whenever someone is mentioning slavery... It ticks, you know, like people get really triggered because of what they see in the movies or what they heard about the history of, you know, America and all these kinds. That's not the same slavery that Muslims had with, you know, their slaves. It's totally different relationship. It's a relationship that Allah understands that this was just and right and they were well treated. That's why some slaves didn't even want to leave their masters because how well treated they were. Believe it or not. So, yeah, so um, they, this was a halal relationship and we are not allowed. We have no right to question something halal and say why this was halal. You're crazy if you do that with all due respect. Like, and I'm talking about anybody who would like try to, you know, manipulate the text of halal and haram. This is something that Allah mentioned numerous times in the Quran that it's halal. So it is halal. And they were treated with dignified. Again, there was, socially speaking, they were a little bit less than... Uh, a wife, a concubine was less than a wife, but then you know they could be upgraded to a wife or whatever. They could buy their freedom and all these things. So that's it, and it doesn't exist anymore. That was back in the uh, you know back in the day. Uh, also, Halka had a problem with polygamy. You know, she and here's the thing: she understands that polygamy. Actually, she understands that polygamy is necessary in many cultures. You know, because there's a lot of women who can have you know uh, husbands and they can't be. Protected and 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 you know uh, financially be t- being taken care of, and some widows will be thrown in the streets, and, and again many cultures, and so Allah made it halal for certain things, and we said it's not in, it's 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 not encouraging Islam. Like Islam doesn't tell you you have to get married, and it's not mandatory. If the circumstances, you know, if 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 things happen that require a husband and a man to marry more than one. In a halal way, in a very obvious way, with giving the rights to both women or three women, whatever the number, up until four, of course, he has to be uh, adil. He has to be just between all of them. 
then it's allowed. It's allowed. It's not encouraged. It's not like something that's highly encouraged and highly recommended. No, it's just allowed. Do you understand? If like someone like, and one of the reasons, by the way, today's world is if a man is going to have an affair anyway, then go get married. If you're on, if you feel, if you're afraid to do something uh, sinful and a major commit a major sin, you know, and and you're afraid of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's punishment, go get married to someone else. That's one of the reasons. If you're gonna be with another woman anyway, instead of doing it in a haram and in a shameful way, go get married. And I understand a lot of a lot of our sisters have strong feelings about this. By the way, another thing is that, and I don't know if if many of you know it, in the wedding contract, a woman has the right to put a condition because, by the way. You can write in the wedding con- in the wedding contract whatever you want in the marriage contract, whatever you want in terms of conditions on your spouse, whether it's a man uh, doing this for his wife or whether it's a wife doing this for her husband. So, a literally a wife before the wedding, before the marriage contract is finalized, she could put a clause: "I do not want my husband to ever get married to anyone else." And if he agrees to it, you guys are good to go. He's not allowed to get married. See, I gave you a little bit of an information you could use for those who didn't get married yet. You can make it a condition in your contract. And this is 100% Islamic, by the way. This is halal 100%. In the marriage contract, you are allowed to say whatever the conditions you want or state whatever the conditions you want. And if the husband or the wife, the spouse, basically agrees to those conditions, you're good to go. And you're not allowed to violate that contract. Otherwise, there'll be legal issues and whatever, and then you're going to have to get separated and... Some of you have to give up the money and the dowry money and all these things. But yeah, polygamy sometimes is necessary for, like I said, taking care of certain women who will never get married and, and you know, they won't, they, they need to be married. So that's why a man can marry more than one. Or if a man is really about to commit a major sin and commit adultery and to prevent, again, if someone commits adultery, he's going to keep doing it. So instead of doing this, and again, I'm, this is not encouraged. It's just like sometimes it's necessary. With many conditions, of them is being just with all the wives. And again, if 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 you guys and I understand, under, very understandably so, if a wife feels uncomfortable or very triggered by the concept of polygamy before marriage, you can put this in the marriage contract that I don't want my husband to get married. That's it. It's done. So yeah. Now, uh, but that's not her question because she she said that she understood why polygamy is allowed in Islam. However. She's basically saying why men or why women can't have multiple husbands. By the way, this question has been asked a lot. And it's the funny thing is it's always asked in modern times. That was not a big deal of a question or not a popular question back in the day. Because again, it tells you this is all about like why if a man can have this, why can't I? Like I said in the beginning, men and women are different. They have different roles, they have different privileges. Take the mother and the father example. Is, does that mean the father is unworthy? No, they're just different. So let's address this. Why women can't have multiple husbands? Number one, biologically, it's impossible. Because think about it. If she gets pregnant, how will she know which one is the father? I know, I get it. Today, modern time, we can do DNA tests. But we're talking about a ruling that applies on, all, like I said, all of the times. Ruling does not, does not change. Like Allah won't say, well, in 2020, because Allah knows the future. So Allah won't say, well, in 2022, a woman is allowed because then they're going to have a DNA test and they will know. No. If Allah says no for all times and ages, it's no. Even though 
DNA in modern times is, is this thing, it's not, by the way, it's not available in many societies and in many cultures. This whole, the, the privilege of DNA tests, it's not there. Not in every society. It's an only privileged societies that, uh, you know, a woman could go be like, I just want to know who's the father of my, my child. So that creates a big problem, number one, if she's married to, let's say, two at the same time. Imagine if she's married to three. That's ridiculous even. Now, if a woman gets pregnant and then you spend, let's say, the nine months dealing with pregnancy, now, what's going to happen with the other husband? Let's say that you know who got you pregnant, which is impossible in the beginning, but uh, let's say, okay. Let's say that the first hurdle we just overcome, we overcame, and then let's go talk to the second thing. Like, so now you have a second husband who knows that you are pregnant from his first, from your first husband. How are you going to deal with that? How is he going to feel? And then you're suffering with the pregnancy, carrying someone else's child. And you're exhausted, you're tired, and you're dealing with all the craziness and the hormonal craziness. Guess what he's going to say? I want a child as well. I want you to carry my, ch- my, my child as well. All right, let me just pop this one out and then, you know, I'll be right with you. Let's, let's do this all over again. You won't be able to take it. You won't be able to take it, wallahi. And it's going to be a very exhausting relationship. You're going to be like, I feel like I'm a factory just producing children. Because every time a husband, and we're talking about just two, my dear sisters. Imagine if a woman is allowed to marry three even. Oof. You won't be able to take it. And because Allah knows this, Allah made it haram. It's a major sin. You can't be with two husbands. It's not allowed. And just to let you know, and we all know this, from like even commercials, like, you know, this could literally cause sexual diseases when two, you know, the fluid of two men combines in one location, one place. This could, that's why there's something called the idda. A period of time, a woman who was married needs to wait until she can get remarried because of all the hormonal issues, all the stuff gets out of her body. Now you want to combine everything together. How is that even going to be possible? Logically, biologically, medically, even, you know, mentally. It's going to be destroying to a woman. Now, forget about the men. Forget about a little bit of jealousy here. I'm talking about what this would do to a woman. It will be a hormonal chaos. Hormonal chaos, Wallahi. So that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again, for a very logical reason, not because men are more privileged or not because men are more preferred. No, it's for the sake of women. Their mental, physical health. So I hope that answered that part. Now, um, one last thing that I think, uh, uh, um, and uh, actually a couple, two more. So she was asking about the age of Aisha, and we addressed this in a, in a lot of detail. You can go back to last season uh, under the title of, uh, or with the title of uh, The Wives of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I talked, this is like a, one of the longest episodes. And we talk in detail about all the, again, quote-unquote controversies when it comes to multiple wives or when it comes to, you know, marrying Aisha. So that is the question she's asking. Aisha was nine? Oh my God, what is are you, what are you talking about? This is disgusting. Pedophilia, right? No, it's not. Like I mentioned before, culturally, that was totally fine. And a nine-year-old 1,500 years ago 
is not the same as a nine-year-old now. Nine-year-old, this is not encouraged, by the way. This should not happen today. Back in the day, a nine-year-old, she could be she could be a one responsible for her home, for her house. They used to be mentally, biologically more mature than today. And the biggest proof that this was completely okay is that when this happened and there was a lot of enemies of the Prophet ﷺ back in the day, a lot of enemies, they called them magician, right? They called them a crazy person. They called them, you know, a lot of things. Never called them a pedophile or said that this was inappropriate. No one ever thought about attacking him like, oh, he married a little girl. No. Do you know why? By his worst enemies, never even thought about that because that was completely normal. And flash news, that was just not that was not just normal in the Air Peninsula. That was normal everywhere on earth. You know, for the Romans, for the Persians, for the West, for the East, that was completely fine. By the way, read all the books of history about the Roman kings and how they how old uh, of girls or women they used to marry. And you'll find that it's around the same age. So, again, you're looking at it with today's perspective. Oh my God, this is disgusting. Astaghfirullah. You can't say that about the Prophet. I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm just saying those who think it don't even think like that. This is something Allah completely allowed because, again, biologically, mentally, physically, women were different in terms of age. They were matured way faster. But above all, that was normal back then. It's not normal now. Because now they're little babies. It's, it is disgusting now. But it was not the case. And every society was okay with this. By the way, in this country that we live in, 50, 60 years ago, you know what was the age marriage? Between 13 and 14. A girl could get married to someone who's older or a little bit older. It doesn't really matter. She used to get married. At the age of 14, you come now and you tell that to anybody, they will go crazy and they will call you a pedophile in this country, by the way. Every general, like I said, culture change, it, it, like one of the, the main things about cultures is that they change standards according to different time periods. I bet you the age marriage now is 18, 50 years from now, you tell this to someone, they're going to think you're disgusting. What? You guys used to get married at 18? That's disgusting. It's going to be probably like 21 or something. So do not judge the Prophet wasallam and the time that he was in from the lens of 2022. That's unfair. Especially when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed it. And not just allowed it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually showed him while he was asleep that he was going to marry Aisha and he should go and propose to Aisha. Just to let you know. Even his worst enemies never criticized him for such thing because it was completely normal. So I hope that answers your question. And now let's get to, I think, the final uh, uh, thing or final question when it comes to the Helka's questions, which is the Hura'in. And Helka was saying there are no, like, there are, men are promised 72 uh, uh, quote unquote versions from Jannah and two worldly wives. Number one, the whole 72 number. And the whole there's no such thing as two worldly wives. This is this is not not mentioned in any authentic hadith or in any verse in the Quran. So these these numbers are made up basically. There's like speculations by certain people, but none of them is accurate. But Hurun is mentioned in the Quran that believers of the males 
will have women from like basically Hurain are angelic women who will you know uh, be married to if for example they have no wives in this dunya or whatever right now here's the thing what Helka has a problem with and I know a couple of sisters literally asked about this is that okay if men can have this why women can have it as well number one if a woman doesn't have a husband in this life she will be assigned one in Jannah and the best husband that her eyes will want and she would want to be with okay now we don't know if the husband in in the, for a woman who never got married would that be someone from humans or not it's not mentioned it's not mentioned. And the if it's not mentioned, that does not mean we have automatically to say, well, no, that doesn't mean because the men were mentioned that they're going to have hurain, which is, again, women from like the angels. But women, we don't know. Right? Now, the ruling is if a woman is married and her husband goes to Jannah, she's going to be married to him in Jannah. And also, uh, if she, this is a very interesting ruling. If a woman got married twice, so for example, like she got her husband passed away, and then she got married again after her husband. She will enter Jannah with her second husband. If both were, of course, believers. And then her first husband will have whatever, Horin or whatever. And there's a wisdom behind it because, uh, you know, like it, it is said that the latest husband should be with his wife. And the latest wife, like the wife should be with her latest husband. Um, second husband, again, if they were both going to Jannah, inshallah. Uh, because she makes the final memories and everything with that husband and... Uh, you know, the first husband will, you know, be compensated. No one, by the way, in Jannah, this is, a lot of sisters worry about this point and talk about it, but let's get to Jannah first. And you will never get to Jannah if you are disobeying Allah's commands. And if you have issues and questioning Allah's, you know, rulings, and you're saying, why would Allah do this? Now, uh, trying to understand is very permissible in Islam, but questioning, we've mentioned this multiple times, Questioning is not something that a believer should do, specifically in 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 an aggressive manner, right? So let's worry about getting to Jannah. This is Allah saying Jannah is not simple to get to. My dear brothers and sisters, don't forget that Jannah is not easy to get to. Allah saying this is a very expensive commodity that is offered by Allah. Silaatullah. The commodity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very expensive. And we will never get to Jannah unless we are following Allah's commands and the Prophet Now, when we get to Jannah, Allah's number one, there will be no such thing as jealousy. All the bad emotions will be extracted at the gates of Jannah. All the negative, harmful emotions, Allah will extract them from us right at the gates before we enter Jannah. So we won't feel, we will all be content with whatever we have. Content, there's no jealousy, there's no I want more, there's no why he has this and I have this, none of that will exist. We won't even understand the concept of this. The only concept that we're going to have, we're going to be extremely happy with what we have. Okay, there will be a complete satisfaction in Jannah. And that's what we care about. I want to be satisfied no matter what happens in Jannah, to be honest. I don't care what level I go to, if Allah is going to make, of course I want to get to the highest level now. You know, ask for the, you know, the Jannah al-Firdaus, the paradise. This is what the Prophet said. Ask for the highest level of Jannah. But if you don't get to go there, don't worry. You will be completely content and satisfied with your level in Jannah. And you will never look at the other level and say, yeah, I want to go there, man. I wish, oh, I regret not doing more. None of that will happen. 
Allah will make you satisfied. And here's something very interesting. Aisha was actually asked that question, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, which tells you believers don't care. You know, what about us? So what, like a woman came to Aisha and she said, what about us? What are we going to get in Jannah in terms of like husbands? Look at Aisha, how she responded. She said, women will get what their heart desires. And then she mentioned the chapter of Fusilat, verse number 31. نَحْنُ أَوْلِيَاءُكُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ وَلَكُمْ فِيهَا مَا تَشْتَهِي أَنفُسِكُمْ وَلَكُمْ فِيهَا مَا تَدْعُونَ Allah is saying to both genders now, look at this. Whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever your heart desires, you will get in Jannah. Just talking to both genders here, not just the men. Allah understands men and women better than we understand ourselves. And Allah has rewards for men and has rewards for women because Allah knows what will satisfy both of them. Focus on the big picture. Jannah. Getting to Jannah. Allah knows what's best for you. Trust in Allah. Trust in Allah. You know, it's it's very interesting. Uh, at the end of the day, like you don't see women who are struggling and fighting uh, and saying that Islam is being unjust when it comes to men and women. These women are named after their fathers, not their mothers. They have no problem with that. Why? Because society did not dictate yet. Well, in some cases, you know, women are now named after their mothers. I know that, and it's going to become a thing. But I'm just trying to prove to you that it's all about what society dictates and put in our heads. What we should follow is Allah's commands and His Messenger. And I hope I explained some of the misconceptions, some of the stereotypes in Islam. I hope that you think about, and again, Allah explained to us that it's for all, Wallahi, it's for our benefits. Everything that I just said right now, it's for our benefits. Men and women. Men and women, not just for the benefits of men, not just for the benefits of women. It's for men and women. And Allah makes everyone rewarded and roles different. That's why when Allah said, Men and women are not equal in terms of responsibilities, in terms of rewards. That does not mean one is better than the other. It means they're different. They're different. So I hope that, you know, clarifies some of the, you know, misconceptions and some of the quote unquote, again, controversy when it comes to, you know, men and women in Islam. Thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.